If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! I'm Kim Rebwalk. I'm the Senior Director of Nursing for Perioperative Services. I work at Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando, Florida, and my pronouns are she and her. Hi, I'm Robin Brennan. I work for the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion located in the Delaware Valley. My title is Senior Diversity and Inclusion Practitioner, and my pronouns are she and her. Hi, my name is Bob Mullen. I am Senior Director of Patient Operations here in the Delaware Valley, and my pronouns are he and him. I'm Jennifer Sciola. I'm the Senior Director of Child and Family Services here in the Delaware Valley, and uh, my pronouns are she, her. Welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and my pronouns are she and her. 52 years ago today, June 28, 1969, marked the start of the Stonewall Uprising in New York City, considered to be a turning point in the fight to ensure the civil rights of members of the LGBTQ community. The first Pride marches were held on the one-year anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising, and since that time, June has become known as Pride Month, a time to celebrate what it means to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, and or transgender. I had the opportunity last week to talk with members of the Nemours Pride Associate Resource Group, or ARG, about enterprise-wide efforts toward diversity, equity, and inclusion related to the LGBTQ associate, patient, and family populations. The Pride ARG is one of five independent voluntary groups of associates who share common demographics and those who are allies of that group. During our discussion, it became clear fairly early on that Nemours is a leader in equity, diversity, and inclusion, a point-driven home when Kim Reblock shared on-the-job recollections from a previous employer. I came from a place where it wasn't safe to be your authentic self. What that meant was I was not out at work. My out-of-work life was very private. You had to be very careful about what you talked about. To be honest, there was a fear of losing my job if I was out. And it was not just me because I, I knew other people, obviously, within the LBGTQ community. And no one was out at work or talked about those things because it was a job security issue. So when you don't have that safe space, which is additionally psychological safety and being able to be your authentic self, people don't know you. And you show up to work very differently. You don't have that level of engagement with each other. And so the folks that can talk about their home life and have camaraderie had a very different relationship. And the people that did not feel safe talking about that were kind of, you were, you were left out of many things because people thought, oh, they don't want to participate or they don't want to talk to us. They don't like us. And it was really because there wasn't a safe space to have those conversations. And so there was really segregation, which leads to people not working as well together. 
not understanding how you show up that, you know, maybe it's a bad day. How can I help you? How can I, you know, help you stand up? How, what can I do for you? All of those things are left at the door and it just creates a, a culture of division and um, not a team mentality. So what was it like when you walked through the doors at Memoirs? Did you know what the culture was like? I did not. I thought I knew just in interviewing processes and just in the way benefits were were handled here was very different. And so it felt very different from the onset, which is one of the reasons I joined. I joined because of the people and the mission. Where I worked before, it was because of the mission. There were some great people. And then other ones I just really didn't know because I just didn't feel like I could. When I came here, I was tentative at first. And then it was like just a breath of fresh air. And the people here are closer because of it. I can see no matter whether I work with people every day or not, it's safe. I feel just much closer to teams. People know about me as a person and ask about me as a person, which is not what happened where I came from. Bob, I'm going to bring you into the conversation and ask, first of all, do you feel safe at work? Have you always felt safe at work? And do you think that the work that the ARG has done has made it better for you as a member of the LGBTQ community? I would say from the moment I walked in the door, I too, I think as part of the interview process and seeing the benefits and what was offered, felt supported and recognized pretty much from the beginning of the process. I also was able to speak freely during the interview process and talk about my husband and my daughter, because I wanted to know what the response was during the interview to help me determine, am I going to really be safe when I come here every day to work? Part of my reason for joining the ARG, and for me, I'm, I can't always make all the meetings, but what's really important for me is to hear what is the work that is going on there, what are the concerns that are being raised, and that by nature of my position or sitting in interdisciplinary meetings, or even, you know, as the father who comes to a Nemours primary care network practice. I'm constantly looking at how is this welcoming for everybody and seeing certain signage that the accepting of diversity, the rainbow pictures, the safe space, the recognition of Pride Month, what may appear as subtle messages, but when you're a part of that community and you see those things, that dramatically removes a layer of stress and weight on your shoulders. It really is a, it's a balance of how do I personally feel more comfortable, but most importantly, what can I do to make others feel more comfortable, my team, anyone I interact with, anyone I interface with, including families. How do we let our families know that they will be comfortable, supported, and we have your back when you come in the door? I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question. How do you work with families and patients even to raise that level of safety to make certain that people are uh, aware that they're in a safe space when they are patients and families? I could say from a non-clinical perspective, as somebody who, you know, the main part of my job is to develop curriculum for associates. I came back to Nemours because of a belonging at work initiative that was proposed to me from our office. And that essentially talks about how critical it is from a psychological standpoint to belong at work. And so one of the reasons I, I share this is I develop curriculum with the team to help our associates 
to look at our policies, practices, to professionally develop and introduce or, or reintroduce uh, our, our colleagues to terminology for all different identities. And the purpose of that is if our associates, first of all, they truly authentically feel like they belong, they feel valued, welcomed, and embraced, they're able to do their job much better. They're able to serve our patients and families in a much better way. So from you know a non-clinical perspective, it's critical to ensure that we have availability of web-based trainings, in-person trainings, resources available to our associates, understanding that here's what we stand for, here's our, our mission and vision, and that includes you know, serving our LGBTQ patients and families. When talking about the LGBTQ community, are there special needs in terms of health? Are there disparities in health delivery or health outcomes for the community itself that can be addressed uh, either through the benefits that Nemours provides or in other ways? Well, there's, there's absolutely health disparities that occur within a population that's been marginalized for so long. Actually, I, I teach as a professor as well, and we created a certificate on LGBT health disparities in the Delaware Valley to raise the awareness that at birth on, um, there are potential health disparities. So, for example, we know that youth are multiple times more likely to die by suicide if they identify with this population. And we know that even though the LGBTQ alphabet is long and very broad, it includes specific um, disparities for specific populations. We want to be aware of what they are so we can better support our you know, colleagues, our patients, and our families. This is a public health issue. If they don't feel like they belong, if they're over and over again, these microaggressions right, of misgendering them, not treating them like human beings, not treating their families with respect or consideration, that goes through the care that we and I'm not saying at Nemours, I'm saying everywhere. Even well-intentioned, incredible healthcare providers may not even know they're doing this, but may not spend as much time with them, may not ask the right questions, may stand back a little bit. The patient picks up on that. You know, for me as an activist, I think that my wife and I, when we fill out forms for our daughter, I look at it as it's typical. I'm like, okay, you know, mother and father. I know that we live in a progressive area that on our her birth certificate, our names are there as parent and parent. What matters to me is my daughter, the normalization of her life and her family. I think it's a much different generation now than you know when I grew up, but those are the things that matter. So when I see things, I see it through the lens of my daughter, who is a part of an LGBTQ family. You talked about the allies, the pride allies. How, as a an Amores associate, if I consider myself an ally, how can I support the work you're doing? I would say show up, listen. I would say ask questions in an authentic way. You know, our pride ARG, again, it's for everybody. We focus on LGBTQ associate needs, what's going on, as, as Bob mentioned. But for our allies, coming in genuinely concerned, of support. Our ARG meetings or events aren't always about supporting each other through rough times. They're also celebrating through the accomplishments and the achievements and the milestones that we all have with our families outside of Nemours. And that's a huge thing, um, too, for us to create meaningful relationships. Our allies can take the safe space training. 
The allies can show up for events. Those are ways. I, I remember when I was uh, much younger, I didn't see visibility and visibility matters. I never saw the rainbow flag to me symbolizing that it's okay. It's a safe space for me to come in or to share who I am. I didn't see that in college or grad school. It was after that, that these started coming out a little bit more. And that makes such a difference for our patients and families, for our associates. So allies have a huge role and responsibility, you know, to become a part of whether it's the Pride ARG or just in standing, you know, with our LGBTQ colleagues, patients, and families. I was just going to add, you know, really from the patient and family side of things and the care delivery that occurs every day, some of what Robin is mentioning really does apply in a very deep way. Showing up and being supportive, being an active listener, creating a space where we are open to really observing and listening what is being told and the information that's being given to us. And a lot of other cultural competence training is really checking in with your own unconscious bias and checking in with how you present yourself in that room. Most times in the clinical space, we're interacting with families and children who are very vulnerable. They're seeking care for very traumatic or stressful experiences um, many times. And so we're meeting them in already a very sensitive space. So on top of that, if we create barriers that send messages to that patient or family that we're not ready to really understand their whole self, then we are not going to be able to provide them the best quality care in any of our settings. And so sometimes that can be as simple as walking into a room and asking your patient, Johnny, who's with you today? And not assuming that it's perhaps the two females in the room are a biological mom and a neighbor or an aunt that came with her. Or even worse yet, asking, well, where's dad? Well, maybe there's not dad. Or of course, the flip for our same-sex partners who are men. And so something like that can absolutely change on a dime. That whole ability, one, to build a therapeutic relationship in the moment with that patient and that family, and then two, really sending the message that that maybe, okay, we're maybe we're here to help you in this one aspect, but we need to leave that other stuff behind if it looks different than what we consider to be, you know, mainstream. So those are the kinds of barriers that I think we have made tremendous progress in breaking down. The other thing is, is supporting largely clinical staff that are working with families at moments where information is shared in quiet moments where more thought-provoking conversation can happen because there's space and time outside of the, you know, I'm giving a med or we're in the middle of a procedure. As child life specialists, as social workers, as our chaplains visit with families, these are all moments where what we say, what we do, and how we show up matter to that patient and that family. So the other piece of that, either as an LGBTQ community member yourself or as an ally, use people around you to support that patient, to really lean into what might be most appropriate in that moment and how we can help them, what resources might be available to them, because that's an important piece as well. As Robin said, there are there are some really scary 
statistics for our LGBTQ youth. And the only way or one of the ways that that's going to be better is if the adults and the advocates really work hard to make it better for them in the future. If I could interject, I think, you know, following up on all those great things that have been shared thus far, we are doing and continue to do work related to when you come into our organization and we start putting data into our electronic health records, right? And having cross-system teams to look at what is your preferred name? How do you want to be identified? What is the pronoun that you want to experience while you're here? And if you are being your authentic self and we are truly understanding and supporting individuals, that can make the whole experience a dramatically different experience, as you can imagine. And being handed a sheet of paper that says, okay, thank you, welcome, we put all this information in there. But then you go to fill out the sheet of the paper and it says, fill out who's mom and who's dad. That can be a very deflating experience. So the work, we are still working on how do we ensure preferred name and pronouns are very clear for everyone that interacts and engages with families on the phone, in person, when scheduling an appointment. And the work to look at every form that we would hand to any family at any point in time is that consistent with what we're trying to do? Because again, that experience to see parent one, parent two, and not see mom or dad. And as an individual, again, who comes into the system, there's nothing more deflating than having to cross out mom and write like papa, right? So it's papa and dad. What would be really helpful here is if guardian one, guardian two, parent one, parent two. And I think that's really important because both as a patient and family of the service, being at the teams and are part of the teams that can help fix this and address that in the moment in those conversations, I think are great experiences. And I think it closes that loop on you're able to be your authentic self while at the same time, you know, you're making an impact and doing everything you can to make someone else's experience even better the next time they're in that process. I think I heard two of you talk about the recruitment process. And when you were recruited in or you were interviewing with Nemours, you had your radar going about whether or not you would feel safe in this environment. What is being done to recruit more LGBTQ identifying folks into Nemours? Is anything being done? So for right now, there is more that needs to be done without a doubt. But I think for me, when I came in 2012, the biggest piece that was impactful is that when I was recruited, it didn't stand out in any way. When I mentioned my wife, nobody paused. There was no awkward moment. Things just kept flowing. And that, and that's not the case. And to Bob's point when when you say about not having mom and dad on the form, you pay very close attention when you answer a question, my wife, and then there's a pause. And there is a quick assessment that's done that tells you, okay, this might not be a safe place. I need to walk that back and um, be very careful what more I share and how open I am. And that that didn't happen in any of the recruiting, any of the interviews at the time before um, marriage was legalized, the same-sex partner was a part of the benefit package, which was something that was absolutely mind-blowing to me and where I came from. And that that was discussed, whether they knew that I had a same-sex partner or not. So I would say acceptance is how I felt when I came in 2012 
to your point of recruitment, we need to be driving towards truly recruiting in in all types of diverse populations. So that's the next step. I think we've we've had acceptance, and that is that is wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but now we need to continue all of the work that everybody stated that we're doing to make it more than acceptance. It is showing up. It is learning. It is making it easy for people to come in and say this is a safe place. No matter what my diverse background is, I'm safe here. I can speak the truth, whether you're a patient or a uh, associate, I can speak the truth so that people know me. I can have a good relationship and open and honest relationship and be able to move things forward. And especially for, for patients and families, if you, to Bob's point, again, my children receive care here if I don't trust the caregivers that my children will have a psychological safety in how they're treated or cared for, it is really hard to be in that environment. You don't want to leave, you double check everything. And it's just, it's just so painful. So we're on a journey that I would say it's not over for, for any of us, but it is a great journey because Nemours has absolutely shown up as, and is engaged and we're going to keep going. And that's for all diverse populations. I'll also add that, you know, when LGBTQ folks are looking for jobs, they do their research, right? They look at competing healthcare organizations. What are the benefits? When I started in 2011, there were domestic partner benefits in Delaware that was kind of unheard of at that time. I'm from Philadelphia. We had things in a little bit more progressive way. So that was a drawing point to me since I had and have a same-sex partner and a baby on the way, and those things were critical. But I think doing the research, so some of the things that Nemours has done, which is incredible, and I, I give credit where due is the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion. The founders, Dr. Kirk Dabney, Pat Oceanic, they were the ones that said, we need this. Let's start small in the you know Delaware Valley because that's where they were located. Their goal was enterprise-wide, but they wanted those quick wins. So things like the Human Rights Campaign Healthcare Equality Index, which comes out every year and now every other year. And it's an opportunity for organizations, corporate as well as healthcare organizations, to show that we are inclusive to the LGBTQ community. And how we do that is through our policies, practices, our documents, our visibility, the events we have, the trainings that we offer. And when we receive things like top performer or leader, new associates or potential candidates, they they look for that. We also did receive Forbes, uh, the Best Employers for Diversity Award as well. So one thing that allies or LGBT colleagues can do, include that in your signature for email. Show that you're proud of that. We also do that intentionally in our website. Here's what we offer. We recognize our shortcomings. We have a long way to go. But those things are, they matter. Again, going back to representation matters. It's more than just lip service. It's that we're doing the work. And then we're documenting the work for others to see. So I I think a really big thing for me um, that helped me see truly that Nemours shows up and it isn't just trying to get associates in the building and act like we are a diverse organization, but that, that they really mean it and they stand by it is the, to Robin's point, the ongoing work knowing that we're continuing to develop curriculum, we're continuing to educate and have a a platform for people who want to learn more, but also we're pushing people 
who may not be in that want to know more. We're pushing people to, in order to work here successfully, you need to know more. You need to educate yourself. We all need to um, show up the same way. And the other thing that I would be, if I didn't add this, I would, I would be remiss is how we showed up as an entire organization whenever we had the Pulse mass shooting here five years ago. This organization showed up and for it, it, it impacted everybody within the LBGT community, but to actually live here and see how our organization showed up, it meant so much because showed up from reaching out to the other healthcare organizations, what can we do to help? Reaching out from a mental health capacity of helping staff and put signs in our lawn that we are, you know, Orlando strong, we, we support and really putting it out there at the risk of individuals who were not supportive, not choosing our organization. So putting true care for a population of people over business of having someone choose us as a healthcare provider, because I have no doubt that there are people that saw those signs in our lawns and everything that we were doing and chose to not come here because they were not like-minded. And that, that meant a ton to um, be able to see that we, when it came down to a business decision, we really made the right one. Kim Reblock is the Senior Director of Nursing for Perioperative Services at Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando. She was joined in conversation by Robin Brennan, Nemours Senior Diversity and Inclusion Practitioner in the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion, Bob Mullen, Senior Director of Patient Operations, and Jennifer Sciola, Senior Director of Child and Family Services, all of whom are based in the Delaware Valley. In all, there are five Nemours ARGs, including those for caregivers and women at work, as well as the African Heritage ARG and Adelante, the Latinx Hispanic ARG. Coming soon, the Asian and Pacific Islander ARG. Looking for information on ARGs or health equity and inclusion here at Nemours? Visit Nemoursnet or email the Office of Health Equity and Inclusion at ohei at nemours.org. That's O-H-E-I at Nemours.org or drive at Nemours.org. Week after week, the Champions for Children podcast puts the spotlight on Nemours Associates. Your story is part of the tapestry we call Nemours, and we'd love to have you on the podcast. Reach out at podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Our production team this week includes Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. The podcast is available on Nemoorsnet and the Nemours Now app, along with your favorite podcast app and your smart speaker. On behalf of Kim Reblock, Robin Brennan, Jennifer Sciola, and Bob Mullen, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well. And thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.